Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Good morning. Um, My name is Kara. I am the head of the justice ministry here at UVC Edgewater. Um, So if you ever are interested in talking about justice and church, please come talk to me. Um, Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. And Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he returned to the temple. All the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. The legal experts and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Placing her in the center of the group, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone women like this. What do you say? They said this to test him because they wanted a reason to bring an accusation against him. Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger. They continued to question him, so he stood up and replied, Whoever hasn't sinned should throw the first stone. Bending down again, he wrote on the ground. Those who heard him went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. Finally, only Jesus and the woman were left in the middle of the crowd. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Is there no one to condemn you? She said, No one, sir. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, don't sin anymore. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Kara. And thanks to all of you. Church doesn't happen without all of us here participating, showing up, ushering in the Holy Spirit in this place. And so I'm thankful that you're here this morning. Will you pray with me? God, whose love is untamable, we can't control who it is that you love and how you love You love us, God. You love us despite our sin and our fault and our failures. You celebrate who we are and how you created us to be. So God, help us to reflect that love to to others, sharing an untamable love that spills over out from within us on this whole world. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend, Jesus. Amen. I have to warn you this morning, uh, my sermon contains a little bit of language that some might find sensitive, but I actually believe is very biblical and is found in the Bible. So if you want to talk about it later, we can, but it's language you're not unfamiliar with because some of it has might have been hurled at you at points in your life. And so just know that's coming. First, though, we'll start with Jesus. 
Jesus doesn't ignore them, the Pharisees and the scribes, those who are trying to create a trap for him at the expense of this naked woman who stands off in the corner. Jesus' lack of response is actually an ancient Near Eastern culture, a response. His choosing to disengage, refusing to address them, this is actually a cultural expression of just flipping somebody off, giving them the bird. Jesus demonstrates his unwillingness to allow others to exercise control over him by disengaging from the conversation. The religious leaders of the day are trying to maintain normalcy in their practice, promote the status quo, and encourage consistent interpretation of Moses' law. However, these rule maintainers bring a woman in le- uh, before her with a legal case without her partner, which is decidedly, you should know, against Moses' law. Go out and check De- Deuteronomy 22 or Leviticus 20. I know you're going to. Just trust me. The woman who is naked is alone which is against Moses' law. And how did they know where to find her and to catch her in the middle of this illicit affair? Was she hooking up with one of their own and that's how they knew when to catch her? Did they set her up? Was she known throughout the town as a woman who was trying to provide for her family and entered into this state of prostitution because she was trying to provide for her family and so they knew how to set her up? Or... Was this woman caught in a same-gender relationship preventing the necessity of having a male-identified person present? Was she a whore? Did people whisper about her behind her back and talk about how her headscarf fell from around her face, clearly marking her as some type of woman? Whatever happened and whomever this woman was getting it on with, we may have no way of knowing because John doesn't tell us. All we know is that she stands alone, naked, before an all-male committee to judge the value of her account and to determine her fate. And when the sun rose that morning, I don't think Jesus was expecting this to happen to him. You know, the winds were changing, fall was in the air, he was carrying his uh, pumpkin spike Turkish latte down the street, getting ready to go and teach his people. As he strolled to the temple grounds, which was his custom, he was prepared to share these words to a people who wanted to hear from this body healer, this sin forgiver. And so they came expecting, the people came not expecting some indecent exposure of a woman and an early morning stoning, but pre like YouTube and Insta stories, I think most people were looking for some type of entertainment, and so they start to crane their necks, looking to see who this woman is that has been dragged before them in this commotion. We're returning to our sermon series this morning on The Bible Doesn't Tell Me So, a series exploring the lies that were written about, the lies that were told to us that were in the covers of this book that we call our sacred text, the Bible. We're also unpacking some of the passages that are really difficult and troubling, but also some things that have never been found in the Bible, but we have been told were in there. And so this morning, one of the lies that we're unpacking is love the sinner, hate the sin, which I don't know about you, but is quite a triggering uh, comment that you should know is not anywhere in the Bible. God never says it is never ordained by God. It is kind of this way of trying to create a pithy statement to summarize God's love and forgiveness for the whole world, that despite who you are or who you love, God loves you. But let's also say that who you are and who you love is not a sin. 
that that's not wrapped up within what people try and tell, is, tell us is sinful. So this statement, love the sinner, hate the sin, has been thrown with vitriol at some of our siblings, queer siblings of faith, and stating that how they were created is sinful. However, this statement, we should note, is not in the Bible and is not a concept God mentions anywhere from Genesis to Revelation. So Jesus' lack of interaction with those trying to uphold the law and the followers of orders uses his body as a statement that despite sin, no one is disposable. Tossing the woman as an attempt to cover her, tossing the woman as she attempts to cover herself before the crowd, folks attempt to find blame to control Jesus, but also they attempt to control other people's bodies as well. This woman being namely the one. There's no man mentioned in this passage to condemn, uh, unlike what Moses' law requires. And so they take this woman and use her gender and her sexuality to shame her. Shame her in front of her neighbors, in front of strangers. And Jesus' response is, no one is disposable. Although we don't know much about this woman, who she loved or how, all we know is that the gospel writers choose to share her story, that the truth is this woman is somebody. She's somebody's child. She comes from somewhere and she has a name. Although her name is not mentioned in this passage, she has a name. And the author of the gospel doesn't include all of her demographics. And still, Jesus addresses this woman full in her face and sees her humanity, sees the abuse she has endured, the mistakes she's made. And Jesus asks her a question because Jesus believes she is worth dignity. And so this woman stands accused not of being a sinful person, but stands accused, according to this male counsel, of promiscuity. This woman's sexuality comes into question as accused of her promiscuity, and Jesus says, you know what? Our God's love is quite promiscuous. Rather than leaving us to fend for ourselves, God gets involved. God gets mixed up with humanity. God complicates the narrative of the divine and the human separation. God indiscriminately mingles and associates with humankind, loving so many that it seems indecent. Because God love, God's love is lavished on us all, the saint and the sinner. This woman and you and me alike. I don't know about you, but this week I did not want to talk about God's lavish love. I spent most of my evenings, I have a, what I call a sleep fighting. It's a technical term diagnosed by doctors. Just kidding, that's not a real thing. But <laughs> I wake up in the morning with a matted lump of hair on the side because I know I've been punching things in the night. And I wake up not just with bags under my eyes, but they look like suitcases now because I've been working so hard and growling in my sleep. As I watched Dr. Christine Blasey Ford relive her trauma of sexual assault for all of us to witness this week, I burned with anger. I doubled over with grief and I fought in my sleep. While this week, many who stand with sexual violence victims and survivors were accused of showing political party favor 
that is not true of what Jesus believes about sexual violence and sexual harm to people. And many of you may have felt similarly that I did. Maybe you don't sleep fight, maybe you sleep cry or other types of things. All those have been maybe justified this week as you tried to protect yourself as you witnessed what was happening in our world. Because what's true is that sexual assault and sexual violence are pernicious crimes, forcing people into silence, shaming them into self-crimination, and sexual assault haunts people's dreams after the assault occurs, and it can also be on display for everyone and still not believed. And it doesn't matter what a person is wearing or how many drinks one had or how flirtatious the interactions were before, sexual assault and sexual violence against other persons are not permissible by our God. They are condemned. And so as people following God, it is our, our right to stand on the side of people who have been suffering and to believe because God believes sexual violence victims and survivors. We know God does this from Hagar, the slave who was forced to have sex with Abraham, to Bathsheba, the bathing married woman, King David peeping tommed and then decided without her consent, hey, I want to hit that. All the way to Esther, who was sexually trafficked as a young woman and then upheld as doing this to save her people. All the way to this woman who remains nameless, who is thrown naked and alone before a council of vindictive judges. Our Bible is full of sexually questionable stories and sexually violent characters and boldly shamed individuals. And our God believes sexual violence is real and that victims and survivors of sexual violence are to be believed because God loves the body and the bodily activity and does not celebrate body shaming. We know this is true because our Bible doesn't avoid these stories, but includes them. It's actually riddled with them and gives women, because in the story, it's mostly women and gender non-conforming people, but not limited so, who, who these things happen to. And so our Bible gives them names some of the time, not in our story today, but the Bible gives them voices, words that sputter from behind their teeth, which is just an ancient Near Eastern literary sign of respect and authority. And so we're not here to shame the scribes and the Pharisees who bring this woman to Jesus. Because good men and women are capable of terrible things. They're capable of sexually harassing and throwing naked people before a violent crowd. Good men and women are capable of sexually shaming others and denying sexual exploitation of the weak and the traumatized. And God sees the suffering of sexual violence victims and survivors. And so it is our job as followers of a just God to believe and honor the suffering of sexual violence victims and survivors. We do not discriminate, but we hold their stories because they are a part of our history as a people of God. We believe them because God believes them, because these are stories God has told us throughout generations. So while many victims and survivors of sexual assault and violence silence themselves and refuse to breathe a word about the violence they've experienced for fear of denial or forced to relive their experience and further questioning of their character, further questioning of how they got themselves involved, rather we come with empathy for the suffering because our Bible, our sacred text, has taught us that to better follow the God leading in our lives, we believe that sexual violence is real. 
that sexually active folks are not worthy of sexual violence, but are to be believed, and their bodies and memories and hearts are beloved by God. I know this is true. We know this is true. Because a woman marked by sexual promiscuity wipes her hair on the God incarnate's body to anoint him for burial. We know this is true because people whispered that Jesus' mother was a whore behind closed shutters and in her hometown. And then wherever Jesus went, we know this is true. And we know women are to be believed because Jesus' resurrection was told to the women first. And those who chose to believe the women first knew the truth of that God destroy, that God death, of God's death-destroying love. So God's love is so strong, is so promiscuous, is so scandalous, that God's love includes those seemingly sinful by society, but those who are truly friends of God. God's love wraps in the sexually violated. God's love folds in the queer and the gender variant. God's love envelops, envelops and embrace, embraces the sexuality and the sexual and the asexual of all of us. Those who are hated by others are loved by God's promiscuous love. Even those who are hated, even those who hate, are loved by God's seemingly disgraceful, grace-filled love. Because the monsters of death and hate cannot prevent our God from forgiveness and resurrection. Will you pray with me? I invite you, friends, to take your arms and if you are able, wrap them around your body. This is a bodily posture of being present in our prayer, using our body before God. And this is a posture of love and acceptance. God, your love does not discriminate against who we are or who we've been with or where we're going. Your love does not discriminate with how we've treated our body in the past, how we've used and abused it, or how it has been used and exploited by others. But you, God, see us and call us so beloved. And so, God, we are called not to shame or exploit others, but to see others and their bodies as strong, powerful, beautiful created beings of you in your image. And so, God, we pray that we learn to love our bodies as you love them, so that we may love others better, more holy. Setting down our stones and picking up our, our gardening tools so that we may continue to build up your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And now, friends, I invite you to take your hands, place them over your heart. This is a posture of devotion. Because we belong to no one else. Other people and things try and claim us and our brains and our bodies for themselves, but no, we are your people, God. We belong to you and we belong to no one else. We are yours. And so we pray in the name of our brother and friend, the one who gave his body up for us.
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.